Welcome. This podcast is brought to you by Acuity Benefit Consulting. Retaining military veteran talent is critical to your bottom line. So give them a specialized resource for the benefit that they value most, VA Disability Compensation. Acuity provides them with an in-depth, one-on-one educational session on VA disability benefits, curated to your veterans' needs. For more information, contact Navy veteran Ray Hun at acuitybenefitconsulting.com. Again, that is www.acuitybenefitconsulting.com. I grew up, I mean, I'm from a lot of different places, but primarily I grew up outside of Cincinnati, Ohio. So I'm a Midwestern girl. So you went from Cincinnati and then like, or pretty, or pretty much Cincinnati. And then did you go to, when you finished high school, did you go to college? Did you say, Hey, when I grow up, I want to be a humanitarian aid worker. Mm -hmm. Like how did all that happen? No, I don't think it was that cut and dry. Um, I, I grew up in the church. So very like religious evangelical background. Um, and I got married really young. We got married uh, when I was 20, just a baby. Um, and that turned out to be a really bad situation. Um, it was ended up being an abusive, a domestic violence situation. Um, and the universe was merciful and I was released from that. I got out when I was 24 and I just decided, you know, I needed to get out of town. Like I had had these big, huge dreams before I'd gotten kind of caught up in all of that. Um, and one of those was to travel. Like I just wanted to see the world and, um, I decided to just cut ties and get out of town. And, um, I ended up, I landed at a really tiny little, college outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where my sister was going. And I felt like it was safe because I at least had her. I had some support, had a lot of trauma and stuff to work through. Um, And I, there weren't like a whole lot of degree options um, because it was just such a small school, but they had a degree in elementary education. And I thought, you know what, that'd be great. I like kids. I, being a teacher sounds easy enough. So let me do that. At least I'll always be able to like put a roof over my head and, you know, eat. Um, <clears throat> and I had learned the hard way that I really needed to be self-sufficient. And so I actually had a really good time. It was a, a really wonderful place of healing and self-discovery and um, that is when I started getting really interested in teaching abroad. I got a, um, teaching stint over the summer in Central America. And I was like, oh my gosh, yes, this is the life for me. Um, <clears throat> this is what I want to do. And I, I didn't know when I started my, um, education that teaching is a really great way to travel because you can get jobs anywhere. Everybody wants to learn English, you know? Um, so somewhere in there, I was exposed to this humanitarian plight of child soldiers in, in Africa. It sounds like, um, 
really naive and white savior complexy, um, which I think I had a good dose of at the time because I was like 26, didn't know anything. Um, but I had had been raised to to believe that you know to whom much is given, much is required, and um, I had skill sets and I had um, a desire to help, and um, you know was always involved in some sort of service project or you know some some sort of volunteer work, um, and teaching is essentially volunteering. So um, I. I met a friend, her name's Susan, and we're still good friends. This feels like forever ago, but she had lived in Africa for, she lived in Kenya teaching, and she was studying um, in a master's program and was going to South Sudan to do some volunteer work for the summer and invited me to go along. And I thought, heck, why not? Um, so we ended up just the two of us in this orphanage in South Sudan, it ended up being a really dangerous situation. Um, we got out, but at the same time, it cemented my um, interest, I think, and my desire to continue working in African countries and working with kids. Um, and so in order to finish my degree, I needed to get a student teach, and I found a student teaching position at an international school in Nairobi, Kenya, did that and then they offered me a job and then uh, I stayed. And so that's kind of really what happened. And it was amazing. Like it was such an incredible life. I, you know, volunteered in um, one of the biggest slums in the world on the weekends and tutored there. And um, I worked with these amazing kids from all over the world during the week. And um, it was just a really cool life. I got to see lots of things and meet so many different people and um, including my husband and my now husband. Um, he's, a, he's from Sweden and I met him like right after I started teaching in 2000. I think we met in 2007 and that's really what moved me into like the humanitarian aid sector from teaching. Um, we ended up getting married like a year and a half later when you were even before anything happened did did religion play a role in anything for you or was it or was it like when you left home you left the religion piece back at home kind of mm, no i don't think so i'm always going to be i've always considered myself to be like you know such a cliche but very spiritual i would say the institution of church i left behind that i i was a victim of a lot of church abuse um, that was connected to that first relationship. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> I think that that time in my life, moving up to Somalia actually was really interesting because it began um, this deep, deep work of deconstructing my faith and really for the first time figuring out what I believed in establishing my relationship with God Mm -hmm. on my terms and in, in, in what felt good and right for me. Um, it was very scary. It was a very, very difficult process for me to, to walk. Um, and then I lost my mom very suddenly in the middle of all of that. I lost her um, in 2010. Um, and that rocked me to my core. Um, and I remember the last conversation I had with my dad before what we're going to talk about next on the phone, I said, 
I don't know what we were talking about, but I remember very distinctly saying to him, you know, I think I'm just going to take a break from God for a little while. Like, I I can't, I'm so angry right now mm-hmm. that I can't even yeah. talk to him or face, like, think, like, I'm so, like, I'm done with it's, that. And it's so interesting. I don't think I was done, but I, I was like, I'm taking a break. We're on a break here. Mm-hmm. Um, thinking that, that I had hit rock bottom not knowing that I was going to like literally descend into hell. Yeah. Like the next week. So what about, So it's interesting. Yeah. And he was doing the same things that I was into and he was managing programs in Somalia. And, um, we got married and he had actually switched organizations and moved up to Northern Somalia to be headquartered. And so, I didn't want to have a, like a long distance marriage. So I quit my teaching job and moved up there. And, um, that was good until it wasn't yeah. working for a non-governmental organization, a Danish organization. At the time I had gone, I'd been in Somalia for about two and a half years at this point in Hargeisa. Um, and I was working for the Danish demining group. They were the mine action unit and the rep, uh, Danish refugee council. <clears throat> so um, a lot of the countries that they worked in all over the world um, were still maybe dealing with conflict or they were post-conflict. And um, on a very basic level, they worked in terms of mine clearance. So they were clearing out landmines left over from civil wars. Um, the, we were 20 at that time, 20 years past civil war in Somalia. So not necessarily clearing mines as much as we were educating communities and also taking care of stockpiles because um, people would find stuff when they were out or um, the kids would find things and they, they didn't know what they were and they were shiny and um, they'd pick them up and they would explode. Sometimes they were unexploded ordinances and um, or they would take them home because they thought they were worth something. And then they would have stockpiles of explosives in their homes with their families, not knowing what they were. So we did a lot of education and advocacy around that. Um, and then also uh, we did firearm safety education because about, uh, again, at the time, there 95% of the households had at least one AK-47 um, and lots of kids and lots of accidents. Um And then we did community safety education. So a lot of like uh, conflict management and some more interpersonal stuff, which was kind of cutting edge, I think at the time. Um, And because of my education background, I was able to learn the technical information and then translate it in a way um, that actually serviced these nomadic people groups who had high levels of um, non-literacy. So it was an interesting, it was some of the most interesting, awesome work I've ever done. Um, and I was loving it. I, and had taken over a portfolio where I was traveling all over East Africa. And one of my uh, duty stations uh, to travel to was Southern Somalia and Galkayo, just a little bit North of Mogadishu, where we hear about all the things that happen these days. Um, definitely not a safe area, but we had a, an office there and a program running there. And one of my good friends, a Danish guy who was, you know, like double my age, like my dad's age, but, um, we were good friends because we'd worked together in Hargisa. He managed the program down there. Um, and I knew I had this upcoming training to go down there with his staff, but didn't feel good about it. And so I canceled it twice. 
And then the third time it was scheduled, I still just had this like feeling, you know, in the pit of my stomach that something was off. And I called him and I said, I don't want to, I don't, I don't feel right about this. I don't think I want to come down and do this. Let's figure something else out. And he didn't like that. And he, um, you know, he was like, well, you can do what you want, but I'm going to make sure, you know, our manager knows about this. And I, I was like, I think I had a lot of imposter syndrome in terms of like, I, I'm just this school teacher from Ohio, like this job, like, I don't know, I'm not qualified for this job. And, and I was constantly being made felt made to feel like I was stupid and that I wasn't qualified. And, um, you know, there maybe in some ways I wasn't, but I was in others. And I felt like I was constantly having to prove myself. I'm sure you can relate to that with such a long career in the military. Um, that's, you know, predominantly, I, I have to say this, but it's predominantly men. Yes. So when you're a woman in, a, in an environment like that, and also most of the men that I was working with were like, you know, retired military, ex-military. So, and I'm like, just not that like I'm a very creative very um emotional person with like really good people skills and I think that oftentimes they just didn't know what to do with me um and he's you know so I felt like I was backed into a corner and I love my job and I really was genuinely afraid that I was going to get in trouble or that I was going to lose it so I got on a plane, I get down there and um, it's October, 2011. Um, and we have three days of training. Two days are in the North office where we're staying. And then we have to um, cross to uh, cross town to get to the Southern office, which was what I was most afraid of because if something's gonna happen, it's usually gonna happen in transit, right? Mm-hmm. When you're most vulnerable. And um, we get that morning, October 25th, um, I woke up that morning. I hadn't slept all night. I'd had nightmares all night long. And I kid you not, I'd had nightmares that I was being kidnapped by pirates all night long, that they had scaled the walls of the compound. I mean, they were very vivid. They were like banging down the door of my room. And I woke up like just exhausted and dripping sweat. And I remember going to my, the bathroom and looking at myself in the mirror and being like, do you really want to do this? Um, and I, I mean, I knew I didn't, I did not want to do this, but then again, what was I going to say? Sorry guys, I'm not going to go finish up this training because I'd had nightmares all night long and I'm just not feeling good about this. And, you know, everybody was waiting on me. Everybody was expecting me, you know, it's all the things, right? Like there's all these expectations and I've got these responsibilities and, and it was, the most important lesson I've ever learned in my life. Now yeah. I'm grateful that I'm here to have learned it and to be able to relay it. Um, but I abandoned myself, you know, I walked away from myself and I silenced what I knew was true. My intuition, you know, knew what was up. Like, this is not good. Jess, do not do this. And I I, I, I told myself to shut up and I walked out the door and, you know, we get in our cars, we get to the, we're in armed, you know, armed convoys, we're traveling. 
I do the training, everything's fine. And then around three o'clock in the afternoon, we're uh, heading back to the North guest house. And I'm like, okay, I made it right. Like everything's good. I'm going to get back to the, the guest house, do my workout, have my dinner. And I'm in it. I'm out of here tomorrow. This might not be so bad after all. Yeah. Right. I, I made it. It's all good. Um, except about 10 minutes into our caravan <clears throat> across town, our car is overtaken um, by armed gunmen and they take over the entire caravan and get in our car, uh, pull the security advisor out who was riding with us and um, just take off driving through town. And we drive for hours um, out into the middle of the desert. At one point, they force us out of the vehicles and force us to march out into the desert in the middle of the night and perform what I would call a mock execution where we're forced to get down onto our knees. And I'm thinking the whole time, like, wow, I knew something bad was going to happen. And here we are. Like, here, this is it. Um, fortunately, they did not execute us, obviously, since I'm here. Um, but that would start 93 days of <clears throat> torture, being beaten, um, being threatened, and uh, being starved. Um, I slept out in the desert the entire time. We were never taken anywhere to like a house or a structure or building. Um, I was surrounded by men the entire time. I was the only woman. Um, and we were told that there was, they just wanted money. They weren't Al-Shabaab. They weren't, um, extremists. It wasn't like an ideological thing. Thank God. Um, but they started the ransom demand at $45 million. Um, which then we heard that our people, the organization countered $20,000. Um, and so I thought, well, if that's where we're starting, $45 million to $20,000 is going to take us a really long time to meet in the middle. Um, so, yeah. What does that, what does that um, like, what does that feel like having a price tag put on your life? Mm. I mean, that's, that's what it sounds like to me. I mean. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're a commodity. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I mean, I think it feels like no matter how badly my husband or my family want me back, there's no way anybody's going to pay that or can pay that. Right. So it's hope it feels hopeless. So, um, I ended up getting a, a urinary tract infection <clears throat> because I'm living out in the dirt. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, and I'm <clears throat> very malnourished. I think I've in that 93 days lost about 40 pounds. Um, <clears throat> and uh, the urinary tract infection was going into a kidney infection. I knew that because I'd had one before and I'd been hospitalized for a week in Nairobi because of it. So I was like prone to them. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, when you don't have antibiotics and you don't have um, sanitary conditions, um, you're going to get an infection that's going to just get worse and worse. And, um, I had my last proof of life call on uh, January 16th, 
2012. I had no idea it was my last one, but it would turn out to be my last one. And um, those were those were calls where they would drive us out into the desert and, and put us on this satellite phone. And we would talk to somebody who was supposed to be representing our organization. And they would ask security questions to make sure, like identification questions to make mm -hmm. sure that we were the who we said we were so that negotiations could keep moving on. Um, and I just said, you know, I'm really sick. I gave them my symptoms. And I said, if, if you don't get me out of here soon, I don't think I'm going to make it out alive. Um, cause I need a doctor and they won't bring me one. Um, so I didn't know then, but that set the wheels in motion, um, for a rescue operation and um, that would then go up the ranks and, um, be signed off by president Obama at the time. And so then about nine days later, um, I'm out on a mat in the middle of the desert, trying to sleep <laughs> in the, in the middle of the night, I had gotten up around midnight to get up and because I was sick, I got up to go do what I needed to do. And I came back and laid down on the mat and there were nine guys on the ground that night. Um, Paul was there, but he was like on another side of the camp. We weren't allowed to talk to each other. Uh, they would punish us like, and not let us talk to one another, or keep us in solitary confinement or whatever. Um, if negotiations weren't had stalled. Um, so we could always tell like when things were going okay, then, you know, we got like, I don't know, an extra can of tuna to eat or, you know, we could talk to each other for a while, but if things weren't good, then we were, treatment got really bad. Um, and uh, I went back to lay down on my mat and I was trying to roll myself up in my blanket um, and I kept hearing some like sounds, kind of like grass breaking, like somebody was walking toward me. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't see anything. Um, and it kept coming and getting closer. And, and then the night just erupts into automatic gunfire. And I'm thinking like, wow, I'm really not going to make it out of this thing alive. You know, because in my head, I'm thinking, oh, I'm being kidnapped by another group. Mm -hmm. uh, or maybe this is Al-Shabaab. Um, and then I'm dead. Just, there's no way I'm going to survive that. Um and I can hear men falling to the ground and they're, you know, they're being shot. They're breathing their last breaths. Um, and I just remember laying there praying. You know, there was a lot of, a lot of reestablishing that relationship while I was out there. You can, you can believe that. Yeah. Um, and just asking God, I, like, I, I, that's all I could say was just, Oh God, Oh God, Oh God, Oh God, Oh God. Just trying to get myself as low in, 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 to the ground as I possibly could. Um, cause I thought, you know, I'm going to get caught in the crossfire. Um, and then somebody touches my arms and my legs and I'm trying to, trying to fight them off. But, um, and then they pull a blanket away from my face and I can't see anything. It's just like really dark. Like the moon wasn't out. There were no stars. Um, and I can kind of make out a lot of different figures, uh, but they're like masked. And then I hear uh, this young American man. He sounds kind of like my brother actually. 
and he knows my name and he says, Jessica, it's okay. We're in the American military. You're safe now. Um, we're going to take you home. And, um, one of them helps me kind of sit up and I'm just like overtaken with shock automatically. I just start shaking. And all I can say over and over again is you're American. You're American. Wait, I, like, I can't get my mind. I cannot compute. Like, I cannot understand what this could, what is this? I have no idea. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, then one of them carries me to a place that's safe out of the carnage, the wreckage. Um, and I, my first question is, did Paul make it out? My colleague, and he's there, he leans over and he says, Jessica, do you know who these guys are? And I'm like, like, I don't really even care who they are. Like, we're just going to, like, we're going to get out of here. Like, let's look. he's like, this is SEAL Team 6. Like, these are the guys that got Osama bin Laden. And I'm just like, I don't even know what to do with that. I don't even know what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in some ways, I'm still like, I, I'm still like unpacking that. And it's been almost, well, when this comes out, it'll be 11 years. The the 11 year rescue, uh, anniversary of the rescue. Like I still don't really understand like how an entire country, how the leader of the U S knows my name and felt I was worth saving enough to send all these men, these elite people. How, how do you, I mean, well, you said you're still processing that, right? I mean, I'm sitting here crying right now. I can't, I can't. I mean, SEAL Team 6, not just the military, not just SEAL, like SEAL Team 6, like the best of the best, you know, military people. And the president knows, like, Jessica, like who Mm -hmm. the heck is Jessica? And I'm sure there was a part of you was like, I don't care how they found out. Let's just do our thing and get out of here. But like, I don't know if I'd ever be able to wrap my head around that. Yeah. I think in a lot of ways, I carried around a lot of guilt. You know what I mean? Like, well, who am I? Like, I'm not worth just this school teacher from Ohio who grew up in the middle of a cornfield. Like, I'm not worth all those resources like you know and then it morphed into well I've got to like make this like count like I've got to make it matter you know like I have to prove to them that I was worth saving um and that spun me into a really like dark place because and I think it probably was tied into like my religious upbringing right like this over overtone of like we're not worthy like we need somebody else to make us worthy and and um so like just feeling like utterly worthless (laughs) you know and and um not being able to like heal fast enough and oh I should create a foundation and I should you know I should be doing more for you know the seal community I should be doing more for you know I just constantly found myself falling short Um, And then not to mention the fact that like, yes, I was, I lived and I got my life back, but I lost everything else Mm -hmm. that meant anything to me. Um, I lost my job. I had to leave Africa. Um, 
And I had no idea what to do. I had no idea what to do with my life. I didn't, what was I supposed to do now? Like, I'm just this, now I'm the girl who was kidnapped and rescued by SEAL Team 6. Like, you know, try talking about that in a job interview or on the playground when you're pushing your kid in a swing. Like, it, I was just, I felt like this freak. Um, and, and so I've had to like show up every day and, and try again. And some, sometimes I would get it right. And sometimes I sure didn't. Um, and it was heavy and hard and, uh, yeah, compounded with PTSD. PTSD doesn't just belong to the military. Um, that's why we left Kenya, you know, after the whole thing, I just couldn't handle it anymore. Um, I was so scared that they were going to find me. Um, I couldn't get far enough away. And that was another heartbreak because that was nothing, not how I thought my life was going to turn out. You know, I, I didn't expect, <clears throat> and I didn't work so hard to end up in the suburbs of DC, um, which is where I live now. Um, but <laughs> I have come to understand that things don't happen to me. Uh, they happen for me. And once I stopped resisting and hating it um, and just being so angry about what I lost, then I can open myself up to see what I gained. Um, and that's, that's really where I'm at now. But it has not been easy and it has not been quick. Um, it takes so much time uh, to heal. And I think we don't, we're in such a fast paced, like immediate gratification culture that we, we, and I'm like that person too. Like I'm so impatient. My mom used to say that I expected God to be like a microwave when really he was like a crock pot. Um, I like right. That. Yeah. And I mean, that is, I'm like, I'm a fast paced person, right? Like I think quick, like I I'm impulsive. Like I, you know, I like to get the job done and like, let's get this healing over with, you know, like, let me get the therapy and the, the, the grief counseling and the trauma counseling and all the things, and then I'll be fixed and I'll be better, but it just doesn't work that way. Um, <laughs> slow. So like, if you're going to you know do what? it right. Like, I... <laughs> And here I am thinking, man, I'm going to have all these questions for her. And, like, I don't even know what to say right now. I don't. Mm. I don't know what to say. Mm. And I'm never speechless. I've always got something to say. <laughs> I mean, but that's just. Yeah, I don't know. I really don't. Um, mm. Because I'm sitting here thinking, like, when, when you're talking about it, I'm thinking about, like, everything that could go wrong, I'm thinking about. Um, okay. Yes, my mind goes there. You're the only woman. So you're either going to die or you're going to be raped and then you're going to die. And then you have a UTI and then you have a kidney infection and you still might be raped and you still might die. And mm. like for 93 days, like that's just not for one day, one day, that's just too much happening in one day. Mm -hmm. And to have it go on for three months, I, I can't even start. I can't, I don't know how to even start mm -hmm. to like mentally like what's next. I don't, I, I have, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm clueless. Just I, I, I am. I, I really am. Cause like, I don't get it. I don't.
But, you know, I think it's like a, it's a very extreme example. Uh Um, But you just don't know what life is going to hold for you. Do you? Like, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen in an hour. I, you know, I, I think that I think we're all surviving something. Um, and you have to take it in increments, just like you would anything else. And survival is done a little bit at a time. And when you look at the big picture, you look at the over, it's overwhelming and paralyzing. Um, like I, you know, when I was out there, I couldn't, I couldn't look at it as in like, well, I have no idea when this thing is going to end because if I did that, then I just went into like lay down in the fetal position and disappear. But I would look at it and say, okay, well, you know what, today I feel strong enough that I can look at this for the next 30 days. What am I going to do to get myself through the next 30 days? How am I going to try to protect myself the best way I can? How am I going to keep my, protect my mind? the best way I can. Um, and then some days I didn't feel strong, so I could only take it like the next five minutes. And I'm sure that you have someone in your audience who's listening, who hopefully is not in a hostage situation, but they may be feeling like they're being held hostage in their life somehow. Um, whether it's to mental illness, um, or a dead end job that they hate or, um, just life didn't turn out the way they expected it to. Um, I think we can all, yeah. Like, and you know, and I think my dad really helped me reframe that actually. Yeah. Cause I, I remember saying like, just lamenting, like, this isn't how my life was supposed to turn out. And he said to me, you know, well, my life hasn't turned out the way I thought it was going to either. Like your mom died at 57. Like we were supposed to like move to the mountains and retire. And I had to get up the next day and say, okay, this isn't how I planned it. This isn't, this is the most horrible pain I have carried with me. So, but how am I going to get through it today? Um, and I was like, oh yeah, you're right. I'm not the only one here in pain. <laughs> like yeah. it's easy to, to think that it's only you. when you're in the middle of it but it's not we're all hurting I can't imagine from your perspective or quite honestly from the perspective of the mental health provider like where do we start with all this yeah because yeah I mean I've had I've had therapists say like I don't think I can work with you like I'm not qualified to work with you yeah I'm like I mean that makes you feel real bad when like a counselor or a therapist is like you're so screwed up I can't even like Mm mm-hmm I can't help you. But you're like, well, what do I do now? You know, and you're a professional and you can't handle me. Find me this magical professional that's way up there that can handle. And there isn't, I mean, there, there really aren't a whole lot of, I mean, I, um, I mean, I've done it all, all of it short of like psychedelics. I have not done that, but, um, uh, that I would say, is when, cause there's not like, well, there is now, but when I, when I came back, there wasn't anything to help people like me. Mm-hmm. Like there, there's no, there was no network and there was no support group. Like I'm literally like 
1% of the population that's been through something like this. It's a very isolating, yeah, um, lonely recovery. Um, and so uh, Hostage US was formed um, and I was put into a connection with them like well into my healing journey, but I have worked with them in some capacity on a, a volunteer basis um, since I found out about them and they're based here in DC. And that is exactly their job is to help support uh, former detainees and hostages. It, they help, they support their families while their loved one is being held. And then they support the the hostage coming back. Um, and they, that community has been invaluable. Like I actually have a couple of friends who've been through similar circumstances and um, it's really, I'm sure you can understand what it feels like to have a community since you, your, your world is so much about the veteran community and the military community. Like that's what I see on the fringes um, is that it's a family essentially um, mm -hmm. for good and for bad. Mm -hmm. And so there's a few of us, but at least I have that now where I have um, I know some people who have been through something similar and can identify and then their support, you know, like if I need help, I'm finding I'm, I'm starting to spiral and I need some mental health support. I know I can go to them and they can yeah. find me a provider or something. So yeah. hostage US has been invaluable. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You're like the first. Like I'm speechless. I don't know. I don't know what to say. I mean, I know what to say, but I don't know what to say. Like I just, yeah. You know, but you know, so on. I guess on a similar similar. There's no such thing as a similar note. That doesn't exist. That's just not. Um. So there's a, a in the D.C. area also. I think she lives. She's either in Alexandria, Virginia, or in Maryland. But, mm -hmm. um. Her name is Bonnie. Um, you're making me forget stuff. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> now, um, Bonnie Carroll. So she was. She was in the Air Force Reserves or the Army Air Corps. Back then, before the I say back then. Well, let me not say something like that because it'll. She was on the <laughs> podcast before. Um, uh -huh. That sounds kind of wrong. Um, but her husband was in the military as well. Um, and her husband was on some sort of training exercise mm. and died. And and it, like the aircraft, the air the airplane, the aircraft, whatever it yeah. was, ended up crashing into a mountainside. Mm. And she took that grief of losing that family family member and started the TAPS program. Oh wow, um, yeah. Okay. You know what TAPS is? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so yep. Yeah, so for people who aren't listening, it's the Tragedy Assistance. Taps. You know what? Okay, yeah. so I'm, I can't think straight right now. So, anyways, <laughs> it, do you need a break? Do you need no. Do you need a water break? <laughs> I I wouldn't come back. Um, <laughs> Jess, I mean, like I've heard your story and I've heard interviews with you, but it's like, I don't know. And, and, you know, you, I, I don't know if you know this or remember saying that the first time you and I connected on your calendar link thing, um, 
you said to me, oh my gosh, like my brain really is screwed up right now. I can't think. Uh, what did you say to me? Oh, like you said, you had, you've, every time we've talked, you've had some amazing thing to say to me, but it's like, you said something like, people who have experienced trauma find a way and just kind of connect. You and I don't haven't known each other long at all whatsoever. It's just been a couple of months. Mm-hmm. And I have felt like there's that instant connection with you. Mm-hmm. I have felt that way. I don't know if you do, but I have felt that mm-hmm. way because I have yeah. felt like she gets it. Yeah. She gets it more than I get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, we've, we've faced like inexplicable pain and we've come back. So, yeah. Yeah. So with this program that I'm starting with you, that you are doing, was it birthed out of your trauma? Everything I do is birthed out of my trauma. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think for me in order, like, I don't think that that's for everybody, but for me to be able to carry it, I have to make it mean something. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've had to turn it into my purpose, you know, Mm -hmm. because like for a long time, I thought my purpose died out in the desert. Um, And I think really just what happened is it went dormant Um, and, or maybe it shifted, you know, I had a, my kids, uh, you know, um, in the last decade. And, and so I've been very focused on, you know, mothering my children and making sure that they're contributing members to society, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Um, and healing, healing was my purpose. Healing can, can definitely, maybe some, you know, like some of our purposes might just be healing generational trauma, you know? And I think part of, <clears throat> part of what I've learned, and this is why I say that things don't happen to us, they happen for us, um, is that I've learned so much about myself in terms of like how I was really conditioned to abandon myself over and over again um, and make myself small um, and just do what I was told um, and how that almost cost me my life for 93 days over and over and over again. And um, I actually was, had an interview yesterday and the, the guy that was interviewing me said, okay, so you were rescued and then you kind of had to rescue yourself. And I was like, yeah, you know what? Actually, that's a really good way of putting it. Um, some of us need to be rescued by someone else sometimes because the, the circumstances are so dire, but inevitably like at some point in our lives we're gonna have to figure out how to rescue ourselves and and so that's what I've spent this time doing and now then what I do is I teach other women how to rescue themselves and so this is how our worlds meet right there with with that so and I think it's interesting interesting you say that because uh, uh, uh I guess maybe a couple months before I even talked to you that first time I was, I think I was finding myself saying that same thing about me is, all right, look, yeah, I've had this laundry list of crap that I've had to dealt with. Some of these things that I've had to deal with um, were out of my control, being raped. Mm-hmm. Some of these things 
that have happened to me is because I made bad decisions. Um, both of those mm-hmm. are part of life. You know, sure. things happen that are out of your control. Things happen because you make good decisions. You make some that are not so much. Yeah. Um, and it, it is what it is. And I, I think, I think over my overarching end of 20, end of 2022 and into the rest of my life, I think where I find myself is, okay, what can I do to go from here? Mm-hmm. And I think for me, that's where your reclaim thing, I think has, mm-hmm. when I, when, when I read what you had about it, when you told me what it was about, I was like, oh my gosh, this is what I need right now. Mm-hmm. Like the timing couldn't be better. But mm-hmm. for me, because um, I, I'm at that point where I, I, I need to quit. I need to quit coming up with excuses yeah. Of why yeah, I, I get am it. the way I am or why I am where I am and just yeah. say, you know what? <clears throat> I'm going to do my part to take control of what I can. Yeah. And I have this this picture that I have framed that is just like a, a target kind of picture. And the the words that are on the inside of this target are things that I'm responsible for and things that I can change or do differently or maintain and the things out on the outside of that circle are things that like I have no control over and it seems like we have a tendency to focus on the things that we can't change yeah instead of fixing the things that we can and so well we do that because we're trying to numb out and we're trying to like divert ourselves from having to actually do the work yeah right that's just I hate doing the work I know we all do (laughs) wait did I say human nature Yeah, yeah it's human nature but I mean, here you are, you're doing the work. I love you, Jess. Oh my God. Oh, I love you too. Thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity to share with your audience. No. And I hope that you are. Yeah, you know, my day's over now, right? Yeah. Today, my day's Mine over. Mine too. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'll God. need to recover. Well, I mean, Jess. Oh my gosh. Is it? So at this point now, it's too late for people to join this reclaim. No, I don't think so. I would definitely take, if somebody is out there, I only, again, I really focus on my work with women um, <clears throat> just because that's where I'm really comfortable. Yeah. Um, and I think women need more support. Um, so I think if somebody was interested, I would be happy to connect with them and talk to them. Um, we haven't started our group sessions yet. So you guys are supposed to be working independently. Have you been doing your sacred start yet? I don't know what you're talking about. You have to read the packet that I, I sent I'm you. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yes. Yes. I'm kidding. Oh my gosh. Yeah. God, I'm, okay. We're like merging two. All right. I'm going to laugh now because I'm Oh my gosh. So, but anyway, yes, if somebody was interested and they want some support in rescuing themselves and reclaiming themselves, and they want um, to be with a group of women and in a space that's non-judgmental and that's really just positive and, and, but committed to change, then hit me up, find, uh, email me. I'm sure my information will be in the show notes. Yeah, I'll put, I'll put your phone. No, I won't put your phone number. (laughs) Not that. (laughs) Just look me up on Instagram. Email me. Wow. It's all about the Instagram. 
It it's is. all about the Insta bait. No I'm kidding. Yeah, it is. Okay, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. Okay. All right. Gosh, Jess. Oh my <laughs> goodness. I, man. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna shut up. <laughs> well, gonna... I think I'm all emptied out now. So. Yeah. Anyway. Sorry, didn't mean to empty you out. No, no, all good. All good. Trying to me part too, of it. So thanks for that. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I think you need um, to go take a nap. Yeah. I can't even do that. Oh. I can't even take a nap right now. I can't. Mm -hmm. um, oh my gosh, Jess. Yeah, I love you. You're great. You Thank are you, great. Um, like, so just, just on a, like a completely different thing, like how, like how are, I mean, I, I agree with what you said too, the, the, um, what do you call it? I'm turning this recording thing off. I'm done. Thanks to you. And I, I probably have to go in just like two minutes. Okay. Well, just, I guess, I don't even know where my cursor is. Okay. Well, anyway, so I'll, I'm going <laughs> to cut, I'll cut this out, but um, yeah, okay. like how I'm, I'm looking at, you said this is, you said this is 11 years, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's five years for me. It doesn't ever end. It can't, I mean, I, the recovery, the recovery piece, it can't ever end really. I don't, I don't, I wouldn't think because, you know, I, like, I thought, I thought like I, this year I hit my art. Wait, what is it? In April, I'll hit my six year mark. Mm -hmm. And I had, I had to go get an MRI done of my brain and my neck because of an injury that I have, my neck injury I have. And I panicked like I've never panicked before because I, I thought I was good and yeah. as soon as and he and I had and I've had a brain scan before but this one they for some reason I guess they have like a new protocol where they have to put this thing on the side of your head and then it goes over your neck and I could not do that he's like okay here's the bulb if if something happens, just squeeze the bulb and you'll be good. The dude did not even get out of the room. And I was like, hey, stop, stop. We're done. We're done. He's like, we hadn't even started. I'm like, yeah, we're not gonna. We're done. We're we're over. Because the thing that had just immediately happened was the guy, I saw the guy on top of me with his hand on my neck. I'm so sorry. Just because of that. And and so yeah. I'm thinking, I'm thinking. I just, I just hope things get so much easier for you. I really do. I mean, if that's possible. But, you know, it, it does get easier. And I want you to have hope with that, you know? Yeah. Like, five, yeah. like when I was five years, you know, post that traumatic event, like I was still very much in it. I couldn't do what I'm doing now five years yeah. into it. Like, you know, it. the weight of it doesn't change, but your ability to carry it will. Yeah. I've heard something like that before and, yeah. I, and I like that. I, I do. I like that. Um, but it's really I, true. It's like that with grief. It's like yeah. that with any kind of pain. Yeah. Um, and and I, I just, um, I'm, I'm really proud of you that you could have turned, you got this podcast and you're, you know, you're doing the work you've joined reclaim. Like, I mean, these are not easy things to do to have these know, conversations. Can I tell you the podcast? Let me tell you how amazing the podcast I promise it's not going to take you two minutes to tell you this. Um, <laughs> the, I was going through some counseling for PTSD at the VA because mm -hmm. of this, my, my mm -hmm. thing. And 
the psychologist said to me, you've got to find, find something for you to do to get your butt out of bed because depression was really just knocking yeah. me down and I did not yeah. want to get out of bed. Yeah. And I said in my infinite sarcasm to her, there is nothing out there for me. There's nothing. Mm -hmm. And so that's how kind of the, the podcast came about. And when I bought my microphone, I said, I, I stood in line and said, I cannot believe I'm going to spend $100 on a microphone to record four or five episodes, 10 episodes at most. That's yeah. it, just 10. Yesterday, my 104th episode came out. Yeah. And guess who it was? General Petraeus. Yeah. Like, why would, you know, who, do you know who that is? No. No. Okay. <laughs> I, I just realized I was like, oh, I probably God. do, but I have a really hard time yeah. with memory and names. So yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. A, that's an effect of all of this. Yeah. Well, me too. And I can't blame anything on, mm. on that for me. I just can't remember stuff. <laughs> but he was, he, <coughs> he was a four star general in the army. Mm hmm. Um, became, he was voted to become the director of the CIA. Okay. Uh, yes. And then, so he was the director of the CIA mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. about a year later was asked to resign because of having an affair. Oh, so gosh. anyway, yeah. so like people know his name. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. And even my mom, now my mom and I are not close at all. So she doesn't mm -hmm. even really know much of the details, well, any details really of my, mm -hmm. my thing, but um, when I told her that I was going to be, be interviewing him, she said, well, I'm surprised you'd want to do that. And I said, why? She said, well, you know, because of why he had to resign. I said, mom, he's a person. He mm. made a mistake. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, mm. I, I could see the correlation she was trying to make of somebody had an right, affair. Right, but that's her opinion. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I, yeah. Her opinion means this to me not <laughs> even that much so it wasn't that but she she was just like i, I can't believe you do that i'm like see that's the difference between you and me mm -hmm. i don't want anybody who says that they're perfect i don't want them on my show mm -hmm. because i don't deal with perfect people i mean because they don't exist so no they don't well good i'm glad because i'm in good company then yeah so. heck yeah you're good you're like the leader of the pack no wait hold on that sounded wrong i didn't mean it like that <laughs> hold on i didn't mean it i, I did not Oh, crap, I think you're mom. just too kind to me. So you'll no. see. I All screw right, up a Jess, lot. I know you're okay. Now, I'm not too kind to you. Mm. We're we're both right in this. Okay. Look, I am not too kind of you. I love you and I admire oh, you. Like there's you. nothing you can say that'll change that. Even mm. you can be like, well, shoot, if you even knew half the stuff, I don't care because to me, those that's my people. My people mm -hmm. are the people who screw up all the time and make mistakes all the time because I'll fit right in. That's Thank my you. group of people more than the <laughs> veterans are. Like, if you're jacked up, we're friends. Because, yeah. I mean, hey, that, that's how I that's feel. That's why we're friends. Yes. Yep. All right, I'm going to leave you alone. Tiffany. Thank you so much. I um, I, I, I love you too, honey. And I'm sorry that I have to go, but no, I, it's okay. I, I have a I call mean, in a few minutes, so I need did, to go figure out what I'm doing. You did say 1130, I did. 1230. I did. Okay. Oops. I'll talk to you soon, okay? All right, sounds good. Bye. Bye.
Thank you, and have a nice day.